pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Today, we're finishing up a three-part series about making books better for toddlers with speech and language delays. In our last two shows, in show 415 and 416, we reviewed the language and literacy milestones for children from about six months to about 36 months. Today, we're going to be finishing up this series with strategies for kids that are right around that 24-month to 36-month level, and we're going to be covering a lot of ground. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. I want to be sure that I direct your attention to uh, the handout that's available with purchase of CE credit for this show. Now, if you're a parent watching that, CE credit may not make much sense to you, but speech-language pathologists have to get so many hours every year of continuing education. And so this is a course that we offer for speech-language pathologists and other early intervention and pediatric professionals, uh, but you can get the same handout by purchasing that credit, even if you uh, don't really need that, the certificate or evidence of the credit. So you can follow along because like I said today we're going to be covering a lot of information. Uh, we're going to really talk about five different goals that we're targeting for children again between that 24 month up until about 36 months. And as we talk about these goals I want to be really clear with what the goal is, secondly what the milestones are so that you know when it comes in in typical language development and then what we see when we're looking at children with language delays and kind of some commonalities that we see there. And we're going to talk about strategies. Now, with every strategy that we're talking about, of course, the topic for this little series of shows is about reading books. So we're always going to talk about how to target these goals with using books. But as you can hear from the research that I'm about to present, that's a wonderful strategy. And so we'll talk about how all of that fits in. So let's go ahead and talk about the three main strategies that we're going to be using to teach all five of these goals with books. And if you'll do a research review, if you are an SLP and interested in research like that, and I certainly hope that you are because we always need to make sure that we are striving to keep up with evidence-based practice, meaning what is the research telling us? Or that's certainly one component of it. You know the other components. They're your own clinical experience and what a client or a family wants for themselves. But a big part of this really is what does the research tell us? And when we do research reviews for the goals that we're going to be talking about today, there were three main strategies that kept coming up for me. So I want to be sure that we're talking about what these are at the very beginning of the show so that you'll know exactly why we're talking about using the books and even talking to and reading to a child in this way. Now the first strategy that's evidence-based practice for whatever we're teaching, whatever language form it is or however old the child is, whether he's a new talker or a child that's been talking for a couple of years and is just cleaning up his language or his speech, the first one is focused language stimulation. The second one is gestures or using a visual cue and then the third 
third one is it's got a fancy name it's enhanced milieu or milieu teaching and again that's meaning uh, that we embed things in a child's natural environment so that that opportunity comes up so let's take a minute and just talk about those three really important strategies now as SLPs you know this <laughs> you remember this from grad school but we don't always do a good enough job transferring what the evidence tells us into our everyday practices with families so this is why I want to walk through this today so as I walk through this with you these are the very same things that you'll be doing in your sessions your direct one-on-one -on -one contact with that child and or what you're going to be coaching parents to do if you're working in a program where coaching is the primary way that you treat a child by teaching his parents and caregivers what to do. So let's just talk about the components with that first evidence-based strategy, which was focused language stimulation. This really means that the targets are pre-selected. So you're not just going to go in and talk about whatever you want to talk about. And that's what we do to a, a lot of times with parents. We'll say, just talk to your child, narrate what you're doing, or like we're talking about today, just read to your child. But really, as SLPs, we know that the research says that we can do certain things that really increase the likelihood that a child will learn whatever language goal we're working on. And and so focus language stimulation just means we're going to focus, we're going to pick our targets, we're going to have the uh, adult repeat the target a lot. So the adult has to know the target and know that this is intentional, this isn't just we're going to just talk and whatever sticks, sticks. We're going to really have some pre-selected goals here. We're going to make sure with that component of repetition that the adult understands that that's how children learn everything. We, that we as the adults continually provide that input. We repeat the same information over and over and over. And that's how a child learns it. That's how he holds it in his little memory. And so uh, with focused language stimulation, the recommendation is that we we, as the adult, repeat the target at least five to ten times. So repetition is so important with this. Now, I like to think back to the research from Dr. Caroline Boeing that talks about this in a little bit of a different context with recasting and particularly for speech sound production. She says that a child has to hear a word about 18 times before he's really ready to be able to uh, imitate that or repeat that back to us. And so that's a lot. And when we're talking with parents about uh, teaching specific language goals that we're going to be talking about today with some verbs and some prepositions and then understanding yes no questions identifying objects by function and then another little prerequisite for following directions for following two-step commands when we, we parents need to know that those are really our specific goals and so whatever that target happens to be it's on us as the adult to make sure that we repeat it enough for a child to be able to understand it and link meaning with that word. And then the other thing that we have to do that's so hard for us as SLPs, and it's certainly hard to sometimes convince a parent of this, is that a child doesn't necessarily have to say the word at this, uh, at this juncture in treatment for uh, him to, as evidence that he understands it. We really need to look for uh, just the opportunities again for him to hear it with no expectations for talking whatsoever. And when we're working with parents and teaching, we, we have to talk to them about when we're teaching their child to talk. Kids have to understand words before they can use those words to communicate. And so we have to really, really talk about that with parents. You know, our goal here isn't necessarily for him to say this new verb or to use this new preposition right away. We have to really make sure that he understands it first. So focus language stimulation does 
does a lot to help a parent or you as a therapist get on the right track with realizing this is just about me. This is about me presenting this information in a way that the child is going to be able to learn it and understand it. And again, why is this important? Because that child has a speech language delay. And if it did not take this increased focus, I mean, he would be typically developing and there would be no reason for that child to be on your caseload or for you as a parent for you to have this concern. And so that's the reason and that's the rationale. And I think sometimes with our coaching programs, we've lost sight of that. We think we're just going to take whatever a parent, a routine that a parent is doing and just try to get in there and somehow make that work without really explaining the science behind what we do. And so focused language stimulation, again, gives a reason for all the repetition that we use. So that's number one, focused language stimulation. And the big things were we're going to do a lot of repetition, no requirements for production. And again, one thing that I want to say about this is this really fits in with information process theory. And we're getting way technical on the podcast today. But this really just says that we're going to reduce the demands on a child's system. So we're not going to make him talk. We're just going to have him listen so that he understands and that we are really targeting that receptive language or that comprehension piece. And then again, another reason this is so important is that with focused language stimulation is that it fits in so nicely with the social learning theories or that children learn uh, from more knowledgeable adults or more knowledgeable participants in their environment. And so that's why we as the adult, again, have that responsibility to be able to present this information in a way that a child can learn it. So, and there's strong empirical support for this. So focused language stimulation, that's our number one strategy that we're going to use uh, to teach these five language goals that we're talking uh, about on this show. The second one was gestures. So what do I mean by gestures? That means that we're going to give a child a visual cue. So we can think about this informally or just with the natural gestures that we use every day, like pointing or showing a child or doing some other gesture to help a child understand, like something like shaking our heads, yes or no. But we can also bump it up just a little bit as SLPs. And we know the strong support that we have for children, no matter what their diagnosis is, whether they're hearing or uh, have hearing loss or a child with a language delay, whether it be due to Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, whatever another kind of diagnosis might be signs, pairing a sign or even a pantomime gestured with a spoken word. Uh, research tells us really helps children learn uh, to link meaning to that word and learn what that word uh, means. And so that's certainly something that we want to talk to parents about. This is why we sign. It's because the research says that those kids are seeing that visual input and they're they're hearing you say it. And like, like I meant to say back with focused language stimulation, that's primarily an auditory strategy meaning that the children are just listening. Well, now we've added another modality. We're having the children uh, see something. We're being really purposeful about the gestures that we're using. And we talked about that a lot back in show 415 and 416, how important pointing is for establishing joint attention with the child. And certainly we'll continue the strategy here. But again, we're going to bump it up a little bit. And I'm going to show you how you can incorporate some signs with this. And again, as SLPs or uh, developmental therapists, whatever profession you happen to be, you know this stuff. But unless you're explaining this to parents and saying, hey, the reason that we're going to use these signs here is because it's going to actually help him learn to understand this word faster. And when he understands more, he's going to be able to say more. So that's how we tie all that together. All right, so that was gestures or the visual piece and the 
third strategy that we're going to talk about today uh, that really has so much support from research is like we talked about embedding uh, opportunities for a child to learn the target uh, throughout his day or throughout his routines. And this is so important, uh, especially when we're working in early intervention. We not only teach the parents how to embed a strategy within whatever their daily schedule is, and we've talked about that. We, talk, we also want to talk to them about making purposeful opportunities throughout their day to really connect with their child and work on these kinds of goals in the context of play and certainly in the context of shared book reading. Now, I read such a wonderful quote a couple of weeks ago about shared book reading and again this this could be why we've done this whole series and I, I want to share it with you now because this is certainly something that I think you can pass along to parents and I'm just going to read it directly it's from the National Commission on Reading and it says the single most important activity for building the knowledge required for eventual success in reading is reading aloud to children particularly during the preschool years now again sometimes we need studies or big national organizations to tell us kind of what we know if you want a kid to be able to read and to like reading he's got to be read too we've got to introduce him to him introduce those things to him and the the other wonderful thing about this is that literacy milestones link so beautifully with language development and so the milestones that we talked about particularly back in show 415 and 416 and even today even with not reviewing the milestones per se but th they are so uh, interconnected so your educators are going to be so interested in these goals as well so there's such a nice overlap here and I think that's a really important point to share with parents with why we're working on literacy and language and and just certainly uh, reading aloud together is a time-tested strategy that moms from uh, generations ago would say that's how my child learned how to talk and learned what words mean and learned to sit with me and all those those pre-academic skills that we want a child to have by the time that he or she enters preschool or kindergarten so that's certainly something that I wanted to pass along to you that you uh, could share with parents as well all right, so back to our goals. Let's go ahead and move to the first goal. And if you'll check on this uh, with your handout and keep up here, the first goal here is that we're going to have a child identify pictures of familiar actions or verbs. So here we're kind of talking about, again, a specific type of word class. So let's just do a teeny tiny review of language development and language emergence. And we'll know, we all know, and we certainly should pass this along to parents, that kids learn nouns or names for people, places, or things, their favorite things like food, toys, uh, locations in their, your home, they learn those kinds of words first. So nouns come first. And we talked about those goals and how to work on helping a child learn how to understand more nouns and increase his vocabulary by adding nouns at the beginning. We talked about that a lot, particularly back in the last show in 416. And so now we're ready to bump it up and talk about that next word class or part of speech, which is verbs. And so when we look at the list of the first 50 most common words in many, many languages, it's usually composed of nouns, verbs, and social words. Now, uh, social words, again, we're not going to talk about that a lot today because you can certainly teach those within the context of social interactions, but we're mostly going to focus on that next little, like we talked about with verbs, and so that's going to be the next part that comes in. And when you take a look back at your handout, and I've provided a list of those early action words that typically uh, that we typically expect to see and again this is uh, 
these are really, really similarly matched to that that earliest level of vocabulary development. And what, what I started on is, let's go back to this. With the first 50 words, I'm going to give you the specific words that are in that first 50 uh, word uh, research results. And so, eat, wash, open, go, a version of give me or give me, like a lot of kids say, and then a fall, and that's usually accompanied by a fall down. And so, you can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Out of the, a child's first uh, 50 words, usually about seven of those are verbs. And so, again, it's a smaller percentage of that newly acquired vocabulary uh, for a, a new talker. Now, the first verbs, interestingly enough, when we look at language development and the research around typical language development, first verbs usually start to occur with frequency around 19 months. And as an SLP, you should be saying, gosh, that's kind of weird because kids have uh, phrases you tip in typical language development come in at about 18 months and we typically think about first phrase constructions consisting of a noun and a verb. That's true and not true at the same time. And as SLPs, if you'll go back and look at that uh, information about kind of those first patterns with phrase development, our point here is verbs are going to come in a little bit later than nouns. And so if you are listening to this show, watching this show, and you are thinking about a child that you are working with now, and he only has five nouns, I wouldn't work on verbs yet because it's just not there developmentally. So with that kind of child, you're going to teach a lot of nouns and work, again, back with the strategies that we talked about with books and show 416. Those are going to be more helpful to you. So this is, again, that next little rung of uh, vocabulary development. Now let's jump back to the handout. Here's where we're ready to talk about this. What are the milestones for identifying pictures of verbs or action words? Well, let me just tell you, they were all over the place <laughs> when I looked at several different assessments to kind of pull a range here. But uh, generally, kids can identify two familiar action words and pictures early by uh, 15 to 18 months is what we saw on a lot of assessments and then certainly by 24 months and then we talked about the expressive milestones too generally we want children with with a typical language development to be using verbs by the time they're 18 or 19 months old and certainly with a greater variety of verbs as their vocabulary increases by 24 months old and i've given you a nice list here on your handout and this is compiled from uh, looking at the MacArthur Bates uh, CDI. So that's a really common uh, parent reporting tool. As a parent, you may have been given something like this when you're, you referred your child for early intervention if he or she is already in therapy. And so I've pulled that from uh, the MacArthur Bates, from the Bryn Mawr list of the 25 words that uh, children must know by two. And certainly that's a study that's gotten a lot of uh, media attention in the last several years. And then from Dr. Rossetti's uh, infant toddler language scale. So look at that list. These are going to be our targets. And am I saying that we don't ever work on a verb that's not on this list? Absolutely not. Because we know that we have to individualize treatment for families and for children. But a lot of times the parent will say, what are you talking about? What? Give me some ideas. Can I have some kind of list? So this would be a wonderful resource to pass along to your parents who are helping their children learn to understand and use verbs. One other thing that I think is so important about teaching verbs is why is it so hard for children with language delays to learn verbs? Well, verbs are so much more abstract for a child to understand, meaning that looking at this, it's pretty obvious this is a cup 
or, or what, whatever you want to call it, whatever your word is for that, a cup, a pen, a piece of paper, a straw. It's not so easy to uh, have a child understand even something that he does all the time, like sleeping or drinking or jumping. It's just hard to picture those things. And so certainly when we're trying to introduce verbs with symbolism, we're, we're giving a child, again, more to go on because we're providing that visual cue. But again, just more, more difficult than learning how to uh, name an object. Uh, and Another thing that makes verbs so difficult to, for uh, children with language delays is just the difficulty with tense markings. And so, again, as a speech language pathologist, you're certainly familiar with, you know, adding an S for the present tense or an ED for past tense. And if you're parent, a parent listening to this, I'm sure you're kind of remembering those kinds of things and thinking about action words. And then we certainly have action words that have irregular endings. So, you know, mommy eats, daddy eats, but yesterday they ate. Uh, today we run, yesterday we ran. So uh, again, all those irregular uh, patterns of, you know, it, it's like a child's learning two different words. And so again, just the complexity of teaching action words makes it uh, more difficult for our little guys with language delays. And why do new talkers need verbs? That's certainly a question that we should be answering for parents. You know, we've already talked about that. It's so good to build early phrase combinations and as an SLP we would say that's syntax we're building that early grammar or giving a child again enough pieces to make a full sentence and the other reason that verbs are so important is because verbs size uh, with vocabulary the size and diversity of the 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 number of verbs that a child has, and again, how varied they are by 24 months is a huge predictor of his grammar at 30 months. So just in that short time, children again acquire that regular tense verb, and then we'll start to see some ing uh, uh, endings come in with, when we're teaching our children, again, uh, to use verbs in the context of a sentence and, and all that wonderful language development that happens with syntax that, again, in typical language development, parents don't think too much about it because it just naturally kind of evolves or they'll, or they'll think about it as correcting a child when he's using an incorrect verb tense. But again, with our little guys with language delays, it's a, a, a real... Uh, it's a struggle for some of them and again it's so predictive with how their vocabulary is going to expand and grow and so that's again one of the reasons that we want to share with parents why we have to be so intentional about teaching verbs so uh, one of the things that I want to do today is be sure that we are looking at enough books and enough examples with this so that you can see again as an SLP or another early intervention professional how you talk about these things with parents, and then how to make these strategies work for parents. So now what we're going to do is take a, a tiny break, and when I come back, I'm going to show you my favorite books to teach verbs to, with two toddlers with language delays. <laughs> Now we're back with my stack of books, <laughs> so I want to show you my favorite ways to use these books with toddlers with language delays and talk about the various goals and the various strategies that we can use when we are uh, using books to help children learn how to understand verbs. So uh, again, one of the things that we want to be sure that we're talking about with parents are those three strategies that we talked about. So let's think about this as we are moving through these books. The first one was Focused language stimulation, which to you means what? 
We're just going to repeat. We're going to pick out our target before we do the activity. One target, and we're going to be sure that we repeat it a lot, often enough for a child to be able to, to learn it and link meaning with the word. The second strategy was what? It was gestures or a visual cue. So we're going to either use a sign or some other gestures or some other thing, some other action that a child can see. So again, he's getting that visual cue in addition to his auditory modeling or his auditory cue so that you are going to uh, know that you're providing enough input for that child. And the third one was that enhanced milieu teaching where we are embedding opportunities. So we're going to talk about additional activities that you can use to help toddlers with language delays learn how to understand verbs. So one thing you can do is pick books that emphasize a verb or an action in the book. So the storyline centers around that action. So my two favorite little books to use here, and again, I've talked about this in the other shows, but cardboard books to me reign supreme when we're working with toddlers and preschoolers so that we uh, don't have to talk about that correct book behavior of not tearing the pages and really, uh, again, focusing on the book. And so we want things that are more durable, certainly for kids who are in this youngest developmental phase. So when we're using a little book like Open the Barn Door, you know, we talk to parents about uh, what our goal here is for this book. And so, of course, it's going to be what? Open. And so, we again, when we're talking with a parent about that, we say, you know, we're working on inc uh, increasing your child's vocabulary, and so we want to do as many different things with this child as we can to help him or her learn new words, and he's got a lot of nouns or names for things, so now we want to bump that up and teach him to understand the next kind of word, which would be action words. And so one of the things that we can do is read special books and, and really teach him by letting him hear the same word over and over and over and over and over. And while we're doing that, we also want to pair a little gesture or a little sign to help him really understand this keyword and he may not copy that today but eventually we want him using that sign and he may use that sign or use that little uh, whatever little action we're going to teach him for that he may start to use that even before he says the word so this is another wonderful reason that we want to teach uh, this word in this way so say something like that when you are working with a family and then you're just going to read the book with a child and so again, talk about, I want you to talk to parents or as an SLP, if you're about to do this yourself, really think about heightened affect, really think about how you want to emphasize that target word. And again, repetition is our main strategy here. And so with a little uh, open the barn door, you would say, who says moo? Who says moo? Who is it? Let's find out. Oh, look, what do we have to do? What do we do? I think we should open and give the child the sign and then let him open. And then you'll talk about the cow. It's the cow. Look, the cow. You may even be signing cow. But again, we want to keep that that uh, those expectations low. If our uh, if we are too uh, scattered when we're working with a child and have too many different goals, what what will happen? most likely nothing <laughs> or he may imitate something one or two times but not really hold on to it so with this really resist the urge when your goal is teaching verbs try to just stick to that and that and i know you'll go off into your own other little uh verbal routines maybe knock on the door maybe wave bye-bye after the door is closed but at the same time 
when kids are really, really struggling to learn new word classes, we need to really simplify those goals. So, you know, read the book. And again, you're, you will sign and certainly help a child by pointing here with a door, signing open, you know, modeling that the same way every time. You really want to establish a verbal routine as you read the book. You're not going to stop and talk and explain like I've done here. You're just going to read the whole book. And again, make sure that you are consistent with using uh, your gesture uh, to teach him that little target word. And so for a book like Go Dog Go, you know, you'll show a parent that your sign here is go. And you're going to really, this is the sign that I use for it. It's more a baby sign. Like, and I think about it, it's from wheels on the bus, go round and round. So if I use this for go, you might use the ASL version. And again, it doesn't matter which one you use because this is a temporary bridge to help a child get from using gestures to using words. And so certainly it doesn't really matter uh, what you're using here, but you want to really model it, you know, go dogs, go and help a child do the sign. It's not completely necessary that you do it, but this is not like talking. You're, you know, you're helping him do his little visual sign. And again, you can't really make a kid uh, talk, but you can make him sign. And so that's certainly something that you might want to do. But don't you insist that he signs so much that that takes away the fun of reading the book together and certainly understanding what you're saying and linking meaning, which is the whole reason that you would do that. But this is certainly a cute little book uh, where you could target go with that. So once a child really is using, you know, you, you've, you've introduced open, you've introduced go, you need to make sure that you're also setting up other situations uh, that we talked about with that enhanced teaching so that you're embedding uh, these kinds of words within his other routine. So you talk to parents about, you know, be sure that when, uh, let's come up with some, some times that you guys talk about the word open or come up with some times that you can use the word go. And again, when you're teaching new words to parents, uh, some, sometimes I've found, especially with verbs, that parents have kind of gotten so stuck on nouns that they're going to just kind of keep going with that. So be sure that you're talking about ways to incorporate these new action words as you uh, are helping parents uh, be sure that they're following through at home and so that you've given them enough strategies to help a child generalize. All right, other books that I love here, and again, this is where we talk about teaching, not testing. And so we really want to, when we're reading our books, I, lo I love all these little spot books. And my my children love these, so these have been around forever. Spot goes to the park. Here, you're talking to the parent about, as you're reading the book, you really want to emphasize the action words here. And so you're talking with, with uh, the parents about how to read the book. And so you're giving them some cues and having a conversation, and you're saying things like, you know, as you're reading the words on the page, still think about what the action word could be. So what is Spot doing? He's saying, give me my ball. And again, if you can take it back to uh, one of those words that we talked about from those early verb lists, that's going to really, really help too if you can uh, be as focused as that. And even, even when you're thinking about, gosh, I'm going to change the words or modify the words a little bit of the book, and that's certainly fine. And you'll just want to share that strategy with parents. And so here, even though the words are, wait for us, Spot, and the turtle says, what's the hurry? You're going to talk about what are they doing? Look, mama's walking. Spot walks. Walk, 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 walk. And emphasize that verb. Helen, Spot, don't chase the pigeons. Look, look at the birds. What are the birds doing? What are they doing? They're flying. And again, 
flying. This would be, you know, the baby way, the baby sign way that we're going to sign bird or fly or however you come up with that. But again, you talk to parents about the intentionality of teaching the verbs. And this is bumped up a little bit because this is a book that we're going to use with a lot of different action words, not just the one verb uh, per book focus that I showed you with the other two. So that's a great one to use too. I love Pat the Bunny. Uh, such a classic book. I remember this book from when I was a little girl, but this book also has tons of verbs here. And so again, we're going to pat the bunny. So pat, 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 pat. We're going to open and see Paul to play peekaboo. And so as your parents are reading the books, one thing that you might want to do, and we talked about this on a previous show, is uh, give them some little cues. Have them write down some notes, you know, some little sticky notes or anything like that to help them remember, you know, what their goals are with that. And sometimes ther therapists think, oh, that's a little bit too far. Parents are going to resist that kind of direct teaching. I have not found that to be true at all. I think when a parent is participating in speech therapy, they welcome your suggestions. They want you to tell them what to do. And so... Again, for some parents, you might think, you know, how I'm going to help them write down this little list of action words so that they can do uh, work on that specifically. This is another new book that I found on Amazon. What are they doing? It's actually written by a speech language pathologist, and it's a cute book about verbs. And this would be great for a preschooler. If you have a preschooler on your caseload who's just a little older, you want your content to be a little little bit more mature than Pat the Bunny or Where Spot. And so this is a cute little book about verbs. You know, a bee is buzzing, a bear is bouncing, a mouse is munching, a dog is digging. And so you've got some higher level uh, vocabulary here with your verb choices. And you're also looking at that ing ending. So that's a wonderful book to use too. Uh, and really talk with parents again about how they can use some visual cues. And even if they don't know the signs as they are uh, reading through a book like this with their child, they can just make them up. So uh, for a raccoon is reading, you know, pretending that you're going to read a book. So the pantomime method is really, really a good strategy to use there. And you're giving that child that visual cue. And so lastly, when a child is understanding more verbs and you kind of want to do the, the testing piece, Find yourself just a good word book and just do some some uh, probing here. And parents, a lot of times, will think that their child understands verbs and is understanding action words that can pick those things out. And so uh, uh, this is just kind of something that I talk to parents about all the time. You know, if you think you can already do that, that's fantastic. But this week, I want you to pay attention to that when you're reading books together. So here you might, you know, ask a child, show me who's sleeping. Find the one who's washing. Show me who's reading. And again, there are lots of pictures here. And so you can certainly see how this bumps up the complexity. But this is uh, certainly the kind of thing that we need to be showing parents and sharing parents and getting them uh, moving along. So what do we do with troubleshooting when kids aren't moving along like we would like to with books and we're not seeing uh, much evidence that they're understanding what do we do we back up and so we always take that back to real life and so that's certainly something you can talk about that a book would be a strategy <clears throat> pardon me for helping a child understand new action words and a teaching mode that we use but a lot of times we've got to pull that back to real life so we need to focus in on using verbs and action words in everyday activities so that a child can learn how to understand those words in context in in concrete with more concrete representations and then maybe move back to the books 
uh, to kind of check his progress there to see how things are moving along. All right, let's move on and talk about our second goal. So I want to direct your attention back to your handout. And so this one is that next little rung of vocabulary, and we're going to start to look at prepositions. So what are prepositions? Prepositions are location words. And the list that I use, and again, it's right there on your handout, is an old reference. It's from Dorkin from 1980. But it's what everyone uses because that study was so important with really looking at how prepositions emerge in typically developing language. And so again, the ones that we're going to use for under 36 months in out, on, off, up, and down. And we can also throw in the ones that are more like pronouns here or there because they do emerge in uh, early vocabularies. But lots of times as SLPs, we start to work on things like under or behind or those prepositions that just seem to come up that we uh, naturally kind of hear in everyday conversation. And that's wonderful. We can do that. But if we are really, truly looking at evidence-based practice and a child is under 36 months, those are the ones that we want to focus on first. So I wanted to be sure to talk to you about that. Now we're going to use the same three strategies that we talked about with verbs. So by now you should be able to repeat them to me. So focus language stimulation, which means what? You're going to focus on what? Repetition. You're going to pick your target. You're going to pick your location word and you're going to say it over and over and over. The second was gestures. So you can use the sign, but I've found just with the, in my practice these last how many 20s, 30, whatever is that we do it. So we show a child, we give him that not only just the, the sign, those are kind of abstract for a lot of our little guys that again, I was talking about just my experience with toddlers. So giving them something to do. And again, that goes into our third big strategy was embedding the target within a child's everyday life so that he has lots and lots and lots of opportunities to learn the target work. So that's what we're talking about here with prepositions. So let me give you another couple of pointers before we dive into what the books are and how to teach these things. Again, research overwhelmingly confirms that real life teaching is best. And the other thing that research confirms for children with language delays is that we cannot always teach them in pairs. And that's how we do a lot with children uh, with early preschool programs or even in early elementary school when we're addressing writing with children and we're making sure again kind of I think about when I look at a second grade uh, or a third grade unit about prepositions they're really teaching children about grammar and about recognizing the location and understanding what a preposition is and so again this is a concept that children are going to first learn in toddlerhood meaning that they understand you know, again, what words mean, like up and down and on and off. But at the same time, this is certainly something that they're going to start with a base of knowledge and expand that even uh, throughout their early elementary years. All right, so and when I, th this is my point about that. When we look at those units or books that are specifically designed to teach prepositions, a lot of times they will pair them and they're trying to teach 10 or 15 different prepositions within one lesson. Well, we know that our, or one session, our little guys with language delays, that's too much information. They will be an in information overload. And so they're not likely to retain that information. And if they don't understand it, they're not going to be able to follow directions as well because most of our directions, you know, I guess we could really talk about, you know, with back with verbs and certainly here with prepositions, most of the directions you're gonna get give a child 
have to do with those kinds of parts of speech after you get the noun. So like go get your cup, you know, go is there, or take your shoes off, you know, off is the preposition there. Put your cup in the sink. And so certainly understanding prepositions will go a long way in improving a child's receptive language. And from a parental perspective for improving their compliance <laughs> with being able to do the things that you've asked them to do. So we can't, all, again, the really, really important uh, part of speech to work on a word class to introduce, but we can't always teach them in pairs because it's just too hard for kids. So we want to focus on a single, as much as you can, a single target. So instead of teaching in and out, you're just going to teach in. And so let's take a look now at the best books uh, that I can show you and then some really fun activities to help a child learn prepositions. Okay, so we're back with our books. So our first book here, and I talked about this before, but the spot books are so great. And so there are probably, I don't know, 10, 20 <laughs> different versions of where spot. And it's certainly an open the flat book, which is so much fun uh, for toddlers because they're participatory. And that's what we were really talking about back in shows 415 and 416 is how to hook a child's attention to a book. Because lots of times our kids with language delays aren't that interested in reading. And again, that makes so much sense because we talked about literacy and language development go hand in hand. And words are words, whether they're hearing them or seeing them or hearing you read them, the words that you see. So that really explains, again, why some of our kids aren't that into books. Fortunately, some of our little guys with language delays love books. A lot of our little guys that are on the spectrum, uh, they're so visually oriented, and that's their preferred modality of learning. And so getting a child, again, uh, who loves books... Uh, then we just have to tweak it. We just have to make sure that our language goals are right on target. So certainly these square spot books are really great with that. And again, with a book like this, you may just modify the word so that you are just targeting one preposition versus all the prepositions that might be in this book. And again, I think the big ones in here are in and under. And we already talked about under is a preposition that children really don't understand until after 36 months. And so we can certainly teach it, that incidental teaching where it just kind of comes up and they learn it uh, just without you targeting it. And that's perfect. That's a gift when that happens. But you may want to really talk to parents about limiting their targets like we already uh, reviewed. So this is a great one. Any of the little where spot books are fantastic for that. And you really talk to parents about how it doesn't matter what else you say in the book, but your goal here is teaching what? teaching in or whatever whatever you're saying to that parent what's your goal here what's our goal word here so that they really understand what word they're supposed to be repeating for that focus language stimulation you want to talk to them about using the the gestures with the pointing to really uh, direct their child's attention to that and certainly within you can teach the signs you know in or out or you know on or off but I really have found that that real life the confirmation of what the research says real life teaching is best so let's move on to this next little book that I bet you as an SLP read all the time called Dear Zoo. And so here again, we talked about getting, uh, make, making this activity come to life. And so getting yourself some props. And, and I'll tell you another thing that I do with books. And uh, this, is, this is just something that I've, just my common practice. And I bet you do a version of this too. The first time we read a book, we might read through it and not do too much with it. But the second time we read through the book and you know again a lot of uh, kids will want to read the same book over and over the second time we are really going to dig down and focus on what our goal is here and again for 
uh, Dear Zoo, you can use it to teach in. With our activity, you might use it to teach out, whatever whatever preposition that you choose here. But you want to be sure, again, that you are uh, repetitive with that and that you are uh, making sure that you are focused with that so that a parent knows what they're supposed to repeat here. And so you're just going to read the book uh, to the child. And the, we, we said the first time that we were going to read it through and without doing too much, the second time we're going to do a real hard focus on our goal where we're doing a lot of you know, that uh, repetitious teaching, you know, look who's in, who's in there, look, where's that elephant, where is he, he's in, look, that elephant is in, see him, see, he's in, and so again, you say that target word over and over and over and over and over, that's the second time, and the third time, we're going to use some props, and uh, this is what I was talking about, making the book come to life, and so get yourself some props and have parents do this, uh, prep work so that they are uh, ha have some real life activities to teach uh, that with and remember that's our third strategy here is that uh, embedded opportunities so in their play activity you have just introduced the concept in your uh, book as you've read that together but you're also doing it in real life so you read through the story uh, you know I wrote to the zoo to send me a pet they sent me an <gasps> What's in? What's in? Oh, look, it's an elephant. That elephant is in. And so again, get yourself some props so that you're having a child choose which one is the elephant. Where's that elephant? Can you find him and put him in? Let's see him go. He's in. Oh, bye-bye elephant. Where's that elephant? Where is he? elephants in and so again you want to be as repetitive as possible you probably would have slowed that down <laughs> if we had a kid here I wouldn't have said that as quickly he needed time to process but you get my point about using uh, the activities and using the book to really help a child understand that and you know uh, the the return demonstration that we talk about using with parents that we want parents to demonstrate that they understand the strategy we talked to parents about you want to see a return demo <laughs> you want to see your child show you that he understands that concept so when you have props it's going to be a lot easier to do and it's just going to make the book a lot more fun too all right our last book in this category, it's the same kind of uh, narrative, same kind of a place, play uh, routine that we just did with Dear Zoo, but we have Big Red Barn. And so your kids who are farm kids might do better with this at the beginning, and so certainly from Variety. And, and one thing I like to do when I am using this, we talked about that we might not play with the the toys right away is sometimes we reverse it sometimes we have a kid who loves to play but hates books and so for that kind of kid we would certainly start with this kind of play routine so if your book is big red barn you need to get yourself a big red barn you need to try to find some props that uh, support the storyline in the book and you're really just going to demo and if you have seen my uh book that I did a few years ago, Little Blue Trucks Christmas, it's this, and I'll try to link it below because it was such a cute little project, but it's the same kind of theory. You are taking the prop and you are, are 
acting it out with a book. And some kids get so into this, and, and I just love it when this happens. And you can't always make every single thing fit. You can't have every single prop. And that's just perfect because you certainly want to give kids an opportunity to learn how to pretend and learn how to use objects that aren't there, which is, woo, a higher level pretend skill that comes in, you know, after two. And so, you know, pretending that one object is something else. You know, you don't have a bale of hay that's mentioned here in the book, that's okay. You can crumple up a yellow piece of construction paper and that can be your hay. And so certainly helping kids learn how to do that thing and, and learn to be symbolic uh, can go a long way with these things too. But I wanted to mention when you're teaching prepositions and even back in the last goal with teaching verbs, using this kind of play activity. And certainly if a kid doesn't like books, you can still use books because you're gonna pick his personal preferences and have, uh, have those as your books and those as your play routines. So you can help him do the thing that he doesn't like to do. We talked about with our little kids here on the spectrum, our little friends, they may love books but hate toys. And so you can certainly use this Either way. All right, so that's what we want to talk about with uh, teaching prepositions. Now let's get ready for that third goal. Now we're ready to talk about our third goal here, which is finding two items on request. Now, will you find this on a standardized test? Probably not the test that you're currently using. But here's the theory here. When kids learn how to follow two-step commands, and let me give you the milestone that for this. Toddlers follow two-step uh, related directions by 24 months, and you know that's on there by 24 months. We want to see a kid do that. A lot of times it's because kids cannot hold two pieces of information or two separate parts of that command long enough to be able to do it. So we as SLPs have to what? We have to get in there and train the prerequisite for that. So I think this is a wonderful goal and anytime, this is kind of a backup goal. So anytime I have a child who's not really following two-step directions, this is one of the things that I always try to teach and that I always make sure that we work on in sessions. And then this is such a fun thing to turn over to parents because it's a great thing for them to be able to do with books. And so let's talk about how we're gonna do that. So here, again, we're talking about uh, having a kid point to two different pictures. And so I wanna show you this, uh, that we talked about this activity back in show 416, where we were gonna take a little picture book like this and we were gonna gather the objects and we were gonna have a child match the object to the picture. And so again, on this page, you know, we may, we're we you know reading the book with the child and we're talking about, oh, look, there's the baby. Look at that baby. Oh, look, baby's wearing red. And again, I, I don't teach colors all the time, but if a kid loves it, if that's his preference, we could certainly do that. And kids have to learn colors at some point but if they don't have a vocabulary of about 50 words and they aren't already doing phrases, I'm going to save those pre-academic things to really teach them where we're working on that is the focus. Most of the time with kids like this who have those visual preferences for shapes, colors, letters, or numbers, we're just using that as our hook to help them want to stay with us and to, to be with us and to, again, to get them to want to learn what else we're trying to teach them. And so, again, here we, we're, we're talking about, you know, oh, let's find the fire truck. Can you find the fire truck? And remember, we talked about that this is going to help kids become symbolic when we use uh, a visual cue like this with the book with real objects, and it helps them learn how, oh, this is the tomato. This is what she's saying here. Here's the fire truck. So they get that. So we're going to use the same activity and bump it up a little bit, and now we're going to ask for two things. And so certainly we can do this with pictures. We can say, you know, 
find the fire truck and the shoes. Show me that fire truck and the shoes. And our goal here is for the kid, again, to be able to show me fire truck and shoes. But a lot of times, uh, kids just, again, can't do that. So that it's too abstract for them. And they're, they're again, their auditory systems, we've had so much demand placed on that that they can't hold that one part usually they may hear that last word or maybe it's the first word but they don't get that second piece and so what we can do here uh, is give that visual cue where we start with objects so where we are having them give us two different objects and so you want to be real deliberate about it you know I said fire truck and shoes in that example before but I don't have shoes so let's use you know oh can you find the fire truck and the duck and I try to be so deliberate about popping my hands out there so they understand oh she said two and so if a child doesn't do it isn't holding on to that you can certainly kind of figure out what's her pattern is she hearing the last word or the first word is it that she's so impulsive when she hears the first per word that she just reaches out to grab it and she doesn't listen for that second one and so the visual cue with both your hands out are really really going to help that now what do you do if she doesn't do it you uh, do the helping part with teller shower helper you may show her with pointing oh listen listen I said the fire truck and the duck oh give me the fire truck and the duck you can do that or you can do the helping part of that which is reach out grab her little hand uh, put the fire truck in this hand with your you know on top of hers and that and same thing with the duck so that you are really helping her give you those two things and then you'll say oh I asked for the fire truck and the duck thank you you did it and that's how you really really teach that and help a child uh, move on to following those kinds of two-step directions and then you can certainly work on this in the context of everyday routines and parents are going to naturally do that uh, you know we talked about some of those examples you know get your toys and throw them in the tub or go go find your cup and put it in the sink they're certainly going to do that but when children are not following those directions we have to really figure out why they're not processing and so processing is a really interesting word so let's talk about auditory processing auditory processing certainly is a part of receptive language and a kid is not going to get a diagnosis like central auditory processing disorder or any kind of diagnosis like that until he or she is school age but it doesn't start there it's certain we see it down when they are learning language even as toddlers as late talkers or as kids with receptive language delays we see and a lot of times we'll see that it's not really a receptive language problem the child understands what a fire truck is and she knows what a duck is but when you ask for those two pieces those two parts she can't do it she can't put it all together and so with those kinds of kids a lot of times we really have to work on that listening piece or that processing piece now books work so well for this why because we're giving the child an additional piece of information it's not just that she's listening she's seeing or when we're using toys she's touching she's really participating and if you'll notice we used all three of those systems that we've talked about with focus language stimulation which is auditory and the gestural visual cue which is of course visual and then that embedded strategy that's the feeling part that's the doing part and so this is so important with our little guys with auditory processing issues and so we'll see this a lot and especially for kids who are um, I hate to use this word, but I'm, I'm going to say it because I can't think of a better word. Kids who are a little smarter, and so they don't have the, the 
cognitive delays that we see with some of our little guys who, again, they learn how to follow directions, but they just have more difficulty putting it all together. So this is where we'll start to really see that breakdown for a lot of our little guys with language delays, or maybe even our little guys with language delays who are later talkers, but you haven't necessarily identified a receptive language problem so far. You've really thought they're keeping pace, they're following directions, they're pointing to pictures and books, but when we make it a little harder, that's when we start to see kind of some problematic behavior. So I want to show you some books that I use for some specific situations like that in case that is happening with you too. We're back to talk about our specific books with specific problems. So the first kind of problem that we want to talk about are for kids who don't stay with you, who don't really want anything to do with the book. They might be really passive listeners, but once you start really kind of getting beyond their language level, they're just out of there. They, they are so busy that they, again, you've used so much language and the book may be a little bit higher than what they can really understand that they decide to move on. Or it could just be their sensory system. They just have that need to move. So what do we need to do when we're using books with these little guys? We have to give them a job <laughs> so that they want to stay with us and that they will engage with us and participate. And so the first little book that I like that I think we already talked about this back in show 416 is an Eric Carle book from head to toe. And so it's just really an imitation book. And so you are reading the book with the child and you are uh, doing what the book asks you to do and then you want the child to imitate you and this is what we talked about with imitating actions back in the previous show but this is so important to remember any time that we're trying to use the book with the child and he or she is just not into it for those kids we know oh I've got to give them something to do and so you can start with a little book like this you know it's such a cute book and again I like this one because the vocabulary is a little higher so you can use it even with preschool children and not feel like that you are well, you'll feel like that you're matching uh, where they are vocabulary-wise. And sometimes that's, you know, even we kind of think about chronological age, uh, even when we are uh, working with older children who are really at lower language levels. So this is a wonderful book to, do, to use. So it says, I am a penguin, and I turn my head. Can you do it? Can you do it? And so you'll just model turning your head and then you really look at the child with that expectant pause like now I'm fully waiting for you to do it too and so getting a child involved with a book like this is a super way again to get them to use books with you and start to learn with you and give them a job to do uh, so that they are more engaged the other little book that I like to use for that is certainly a book that as an SLP you've probably used a lot and so it's uh, the old lady who swallowed a fly I have a cardboard version that I love with toddlers, but I'm just going to be real honest with you. Sometimes this book has uh, been a little bit distracting, and children have not responded to it as well as they have my other kind of paper book. And so I'm, I'm sure that's certainly something that you've dealt with too, so you'll just have to see that sometimes the presentation in the book really, really matters, and they're going to pay attention and stay with the book. Uh, because the artwork might be a little different. And so before we just decide that uh, we'll write off books as a teaching strategy for some children because they're just not into it, we need to try different kinds of books. We need to try books with different art or books with uh, certainly, again, based on their preferences so that we can hook their attention a little better. Now, I love this book because I found a wonderful prop, and that certainly is something that we've talked about. And with our kids that are having the difficulty with staying with you, with attention, anytime we give 
give them something to do, uh, it's much more likely that they are actually going to complete the task with us. And so with uh, this book, this little toy is the old lady in the book. And so we can, oh, and here's the little spider left from last time that I used this toy. Uh, we can give a child the, the job of listening for what comes next. And then he has to find it in your little set of toys, put it in the lady's mouth. You all laugh and talk about how funny that is that the lady ate the spider and the fly and all the things that she eats in the book but another wonderful way for you to hook a child's attention with that this doll is so cute i'll try to remember to link it below because i know you're probably going to want to get one because it's certainly a winner and it's an activity that you can use with a lot of different kids with a big uh, age range there okay the next thing that we can talk about with uh, using these kinds of props and remember what what was our goal here it was what finding two items and remember we said that sometimes kids aren't ready for that so back with old lady who swallowed a fly instead of asking a child for one of those items if he's doing that really really well bump him up and just use it as kind of a standalone or after uh, the book activity we are asking him to get two of those things you know feed the lady the cat and the fly feed the lady you know pick whatever two things you want and again that's a way to target that goal the other thing we said with auditory processing uh, kids who are having difficulty with that with that and listening is using their preferences. And so for a kid who's addicted to letters, I'm sure that you've already thought about Chicka Chicka Boom Boom would be a great way to pull him in with you. And remember, we aren't really interested in teaching the alphabet here. For kids who already like letters, they probably already know their letters. So you want to use that as your hook for your auditory processing game. And again, we start with the book and you may even use the directions, you know, from the book. A told B and B told C, I'll meet you at the top of the coconut tree. And you're saying, oh, where's A? You find A and maybe use some magnetic letters or whatever letter he letter set he already has. And you have him pick that and really match the letters in the book. And that helps a child learn how to listen and learn how to stay with you and really, really target that uh, auditory processing piece. And again, you have to review with parents here, you're not just teaching the letters of the alphabet, your skill that you were targeting is following directions. And if you, again, were sticking to kind of this, you, you would use a child's uh, interest in letters and, and just set out a set out as many letters as you think he can look through. The cool thing is a lot of kids who are really uh, into letters, you could probably dump out the whole bag of letters here and they would be okay. But for a lot of our kids, we need to reduce that set size like we've already talked about. So you might say, you know, give me the M and the D, or can you find the red M and the pink S? And so you've already bumped up that level of information there. They're listening for four things there, red M, pink S, you know, two important parts of information there. And so you can do a ton of little listening games and listening activities, but start it with your book and tie it back to your book because again, that's how you're gonna teach a kid uh, those all important listening skills uh, for to prepare him for those academic experiences. Now we're back and ready to talk about our fourth goal, which if you'll check your handout, is identify objects by function. So let's talk about this as a milestone. Kids can demonstrate functional object use pretty early by 15 months. So what does that mean? That means when they see a cup, they understand that a cup is for drinking. So what would they do with the cup? They would put the cup to their little mouths and then you would know, oh, 
He knows what a cup is for. Or if he sees a shoe, even a baby shoe, he tries to what? He tries to put it on his foot. He's not putting it on his hand. He's not trying to put it on his ear or on his head. He knows that that shoe goes on his foot. So that's how kids demonstrate that they understand functional object use. The, the, uh, what we're talking about today, the milestone we're talking about is identifying objects by function in pictures. And so that's not going to come in until after 24 months. So here's the thing. A lot of times parents will expect a child or even maybe an educator without really understanding, gosh, he can't really show me a picture of an object by function if I say which one is for drinking and I have you know a, a book with that a cup is one of the the pictures on the page he can, he doesn't understand that because he if he were here playing with this he wouldn't necessarily demonstrate that he understands that that cup is for drinking and so that's a really basic example most children would get that because that's a familiar object that they use every day but think about something else that maybe is a less familiar object and so you have to be sure that again children understand things in a concrete way or in a uh, in a way that they can demonstrate first before we're going to ask them to do that next little level of complexity that that's a lot harder so it wouldn't be that next level but way up there with identifying those objects by function and again kids can do this on some assessments by 24 months but you really don't get a lot of these kinds of questions until after 36 months and so you have to really make sure that a child is meeting those prerequisites and that he he can demonstrate that and you know that he understands what a phone is for because he puts it to his ear or he understands what keys are for because he tries to unlock a door with a toy if you have a child that's just really handling objects just very his play is very non-purposeful he's not going to be ready for this kind of goal even if he loves books he's just not ready yet and so again I think that's a really simplistic example and a, a lot of parents would not have difficulty with that but I wanted to mention that to you as an SLP or as an educator so you can think about that even with the materials that you're using so that you're thinking you know is this unrealistic for this child based on what he or she uh, can already do. So the first thing that you need to do is really teach object functions as you're reading. And so you can do it with a general word book. So even the word books that we've been talking about here, uh, this one's maybe not the best example. I just picked it up off the floor because all of these pages are are arranged topically so if we say which one do you eat you know a kid could just point to anything and yeah he's right because that's a page about food but a different kind of book where you know you're asking again a, a child to identify what the object is by function and you, you've got to teach it that way first so even when you're reading a book like this and you know before you might have said you know where's the coat show me the shoes find the hat here you're going to be saying which one goes on your head? Which one is that? Oh, it's that hat. That hat is the one we wear on our heads. Yeah. Oh, let's find the boots. Can you find the boots? Find the boots. And so the child finds the boots and you say, where do those boots go? Where do you wear those boots? And then you want the child to point to his feet or save feet if he's talking. Uh, but again, this is a really different kind of teaching because you're talking about it, you're not just showing, and a child has to really understand all of this and conceptualize it all. And so parents have to do a good bit of teaching before we start testing this kind of thing. And so you just wanna talk about that early with parents, with that, that's, that's one of the things they should be narrating as they read to a child. 
what the the function is you know oh let's you know he's that little baby's reading a book what's a book for a book is for reading that's what we read what do we read we read the book and again a slower pace but you get the idea we talk about it we repeat the key word that we talked about with focus language stimulation we're pointing to that showing that child with that gestural cue and again he's already reading the book so you've already made that a real life activity for him and so talk to parents about how that's the thing that has to come first now sometimes kids can't do identify objects by function because they're not pretending very well and so even if they are using an object in everyday life when you start to look at gosh they're not identifying this kind of thing in the book and when I look at their play skills their play skills are still pretty non-purposeful or he may be just in that early stage of pretend where that all the all the activities everything that he does he does he hasn't reached the point where maturation wise where he can use that object on another person and we know that kids learn pretend play in those very distinct ways they always use the objects on themselves first and then they learn to use it on another person and then they'll use it on a doll or a character or something like that and certainly that higher level picture discrimination you know show me the one that you know you're looking at animals show me who flies show me which one says moo show me the one who likes to dig in the mud or you know play in the mud or whatever you know whatever it is for the animal the cue that you're using there whatever the animal's function is that a child will know you've got to do a good bit of talking about that and a child has to be able to attend and really listen and like we said before auditory processing and so sometimes you have to lay the groundwork for those those kinds of kids for a long time before you do it and this is what I started to say about pretend play their play skills aren't uh, as developed either and so what I like to do when this happens is really really use a book to teach some of this and so what you want to do is stick with the most familiar play routines first and so you you pick a book that's about something that a child does a lot and so it might be something like taking a bath or getting ready for bed or eating or playing outside so you start with the simplest things and you I've got a lot of good night books here because I like them so much llama llama red pajama is a great one to use uh, night night spot I told you about my affinity for spot books uh, Maisie's bedtime and Again, I have a ton of Maisie books because our daughter loved that so much uh, when she was growing up. And so I still have a lot of those that I've kept because the storylines are so simple. And again, you start with a book like this and then get yourself some props. And this is where you're really teaching uh, objects by function. And so you've got your toys there and you're certainly going to want to encourage your child to play with the toys in whatever way that he would want to. Uh, to build the you know his play skills but you're going to do some talking about it and some asking him to do some things and you can use the book as your scaffold or your structure to provide the framework and so you can read a little book the going to bed book where you are talking about you know everyone brushes their teeth or everyone gets takes a bath and so you'll want to demonstrate that and have a play uh 
set ready so that you can really teach a child and children again do learn from these visual step by steps and that's why visuals are such an important teaching tool for so many of our little guys especially that have those auditory processing weaknesses like our little friends with autism and so use your books as a launching spot and you may again say well you know it's not exactly you don't really have all the animals in the going to bed book or you don't really have a llama for llama llama red pajama who cares <laughs> just get something that's close like a bunny or a, if you're using the spot book you know another little dog and and read the book together if the kid loves books use that as your starting point and then work it in with these props and so you know you're you're reading a page or so and say let's do it let's do it where's your dog find your dog what was the dog doing did the dog have to brush his teeth what do you need what can you get to brush your teeth? What do we brush our teeth with? And again, this is your object by function. This is what you're teaching. And so a kid has to do it in real life before he's going to be able to generally do it symbolically or with pictures. And so start out with some of those little books. Like I said, going to bed, eating a meal, doing something that you know the child does. If the child goes to preschool, use a preschool book, a book about going to preschool. If the child has been to the zoo. We talked about the zoo books before. So pick something from that child's experiences. Gather the objects so that you can act that out and talk about it. And it's going to be a much, much, much better way to teach a child to understand those kinds of things. And again, you can use your book. And for the kids uh, who hate books, you know, you can do it the opposite way. Start with your toys and then lead back into the book. But my point is we want to provide as many opportunities as possible to teach these higher level language skills. We're back and ready for our fifth goal. And if you'll check your hand out here, it's answering yes, no questions. Now, this is tricky for lots of toddlers and typically toddlers can answer yes, no questions accurately by 30 months. And you may be thinking that is late, but there are so many uh, receptive language requirements for being able to process and accurately answer uh, those yes no questions and let's talk about what that that progression is now at the beginning kids first learn to answer yes no questions when we were talking about their own personal preferences so something like do you want a cookie yes or no <laughs> and so even before we get an accurate verbal yes or no we'll get a hand a hand in our face or a turn away to gesture to mean no so that's generally what kids do at the beginning and a lot of times parents are and SLPs can even be confused by that and think oh he understands yes no questions because he's answering that about that personal preference you know we can't really count that because we want a child to be able to answer questions about uh, more factual information but it always starts with that personal preference and so if you have a child that's not really interested in or answering those kinds of questions about his own personal preferences first he's really not ready i mean that that's where we need to start with those kinds of questions then we're going to move on to a more factual based <laughs> yes or no question so something like if we're using you know where the show's about books so let's go back to our book example here so we would say something like you know we've read the horn went beep engine purred friendliest sounds you've ever heard and so then we say you know look 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 at this look at that is that a dog and we're pointing to the truck so we want the kid to say what 
no, no, and tell us that's not a dog, that's a truck. And so this is where we started the beginning, or these questions like that. And so you, uh, we talked about this back with goal number four and goal number three. You've got to work these things into book reading so that by the time a child is developmentally ready to answer these kinds of questions, he's had a fair amount of teaching with that particular skill. But this is not something that parents know how to do, or they certainly they may not know how to do it with a book. And so you wanna, again, teach them how to do that sort of thing with the book long before, again, a child is really uh, ready to, that we, the expectation is that he would be able to answer that. And so you start out doing that. When, and I like to do it with books that a child already knows and he's already familiar with. Now, here's the thing, a lot of kids are gonna love this and they're gonna love it so much that they start to uh, wanna tease or wanna joke with you about it or they'll wanna answer the question wrong. But you know that they know the correct answer because their little eyes are sparkling and you can see that they look a little bit mischievous and that's just fantastic when that happens because you think, oh my goodness, he understands this. He understands this enough to say it wrong. He's thinking about his answer. He's thinking about his thinking <laughs> so that he's trying to tease me. He's trying to play, start this joke with me and so it's a really wonderful way to do uh, work on that sort of thing and I know that we ran through this last one pretty quick the yes no questions but I have an idea for you if you need more help with teaching a child to understand that kind of thing my therapy manual te uh, teach me to talk the therapy manual is loaded with ideas and examples with that uh, sort of thing and that kind of leads us with how we're wrapping up the book this show about books today or this little series about books all of the things that we're talking about, uh, getting a ch teaching a child using a book to demonstrate that, that really should be in addition to the everyday things that we've already talked about. And we've also already talked about how important it is to embed these strategies and, and, and or embed our targets when we're working on yes, no, when we're working on having a child identify objects by function or find two objects on request or even uh, demonstrate that he understands more action words and more prepositions. We always want him doing that in real life first and sometimes as therapists and sometimes a lot of times as parents that's really really hard for you to come up with and so in addition to the podcast and the things that we've talked about today you know you can certainly get your handouts which are is going to list all the things that we've talked about today but the manual that I talked about just a minute ago teach me to talk the therapy manual and then certainly this therapy manual let's talk about talking loaded with activities, loaded with these kinds of therapy uh, ideas to help you as a parent or you as a professional plan your sessions or as a therapist plan what you're going to ask parents to do. You know, get from A to B, get from here's your goal and here's how I work on it in therapy sessions and then this is what I want you to do at home. So it's certainly a really, really important part and I know the podcasts are extremely helpful for giving you those ideas and generating new strategies for you, but the books are even better because you have a visual representation for yourself for what we talked about here on the show and certainly for just uh, building your own personal library and uh, giving yourself enough of an idea bank uh, to be able to pull those things from. All right so that was our series with making books better for toddlers with language delays. Three shows for 15, 16, and 417. I hope that you've uh, gotten some new ideas for books and I hope that you've gotten some new strategies to be able to uh, perfect your own practice uh, when you're using books with children in your own sessions and certainly for sharing that information with parents. All right, that's it for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talks podcast. Music